and started our great series with a, just a spectacular message last week. I get to continue it today and talk about re-gifting forgiveness. How many of you right now have somebody that's kind of hard for you to forgive? And if you're a discreet person, you didn't raise your hand knowing that that person was next to you. <laughs> that's not, not a good thing, yeah. yeah. I, think, I think of all of God's wisdom, the most difficult one to do is forgive one another. Uh, I got a nasty gram this week. Uh, the email was sent way too late, and I read it way too early. It was sent just before midnight, and I read it at 1 a.m. That cannot be a good combination. And uh, I was just ticked. You ever gotten a nasty gram? Text or an email? Yeah. This is from someone who's been uh, harassing and maligning us, and, and I've forgiven this person many times, and I was working up a whole new uh, anger, and then I thought to myself, darn, which is as close as I come to cussing on Christian mor uh, Sunday morning publicly, <laughs> darn, I said to myself, I have to talk about forgiveness in a few days, so this message is for me. Hot off the press of my life. I hope that some of you find yourself in it as well. Listen, I tell all married couples, take two imperfect people, put them under the roof for a lifetime. That can be a nightmare. Yeah. Put hundreds of imperfect people together in a same church. That can be a mess. Let's get real. Forgiveness is the glue that makes life work for any community of people. And today I wanna to look at two profound verses about that. Paul writes both of them. The first one we read from Ephesians and then Colossians, it says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Both of them make the same point. Forgive others the same way God has forgiven you. We are only asked to do something that God has already done for us. God tells us to forgive, to forgive one another. Why? Because he's already forgiven us. Let's go to the Christmas story. And see how this relates to us right now. The prophecy was, and she will give birth to a son, and you will give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then Paul goes on to say, so God reconciled us to himself through Christ and has now given us the ministry of reconciliation with others. Our big idea today, and here it is. Would you read it out loud with me? Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven us. I've been listening to some of your stories as you prepare for Christmas. Christmas is not entirely a soft, cuddly, and cozy thing, is it? As you think about preparing for your extended family, 
Now, I don't ever tell stories on evergreeners, and so this one comes from a friend out that's not an evergreener, but I asked him a couple weeks ago, I said, tell me about your plans for Christmas and your extended family, and boy, he launched into a 15-minute monologue. I don't think he came up for air. And he told me about the eight aunts and uncles, and he told me about the strife and the conflicts, and particularly two of the aunts and a long-term feud, and nobody else knows what they're fighting about. They may have forgotten, but they're entrenching it. The effect on their siblings, the effect on their kids and their grandkids, and how they're all trying to figure out how they're going to do holiday events, including a family wedding, and keep these two aunts managed around. And he said at the end of his 15-minute download, he said, wow. I guess I really needed to get that off my chest. And I haven't even started to talk about my in-laws. <laughs> yeah, so Christmas, I understand. Here's the point. The most important decision you may make this Christmas is who and how you're going to forgive. Ann and I are watching a Netflix series called Cheating Death. And it has various segments about research on different topics and well, it talks about our well-being physically and relationally. And one of, one of the researchers said this, and I quote her, the quality of our relationships at age 50 is predictive of our relationships at age 80. This is what I infer. Pay attention to your relationships right now, whatever stage of life you're in because there's like a 30-year trajectory on what your relationships may be like in the future. Anne Lamont, uh, some of you are familiar with some of her writings, wrote this, I love this quote, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. <laughs> yeah. But before we make sense of forgiveness... I want to take a couple of minutes to talk about what forgiveness is not. Because in my experience of listening to people for decades tell me their story of forgiveness or a lack thereof, they so often withhold forgiveness because they don't know what forgiveness is. They may in fact be withholding something they should withhold. But because they've called that forgiveness, they can't find their way to forgive. And so let me mention three things that forgiveness is not. This is going to be absolutely liberating for some of you. I think it'll make sense to you. Number one, forgiveness is not always trusting again. Trust is something that is earned and built over time. You may forgive today. It may be a long time before you begin to trust much. And even longer before you fully trust again, if ever. Forgiveness and trust are related but very different things. Secondly, forgiveness is not pretending that it never happened. No. In fact, true healing can only happen when you acknowledge the pain. To forgive, you have to acknowledge that a problem situation really existed before you can deal with it with forgiveness. Number three, forgiveness is not removing all of the consequences. As a kid, I really wish this was not true. <laughs> yeah. As an adult, I've learned that it's very true. There may well be some residual effects left as a result of stupid that I've done. My fail may in fact 
give me some real relational and other issues to deal with on the other side. Yet there's always grace to work through in the context of forgiveness. So now that we've looked at what forgiveness is not, let's consider how this grace does work in our lives. Because our big point today is to figure out how Christ has forgiven us so that we can do the same to others. I hope on your way in today that you received a padlock about this size. I'll take one a little bit larger. And if you have, you can absolutely feel free to play with this today. We don't recommend lots of texting or phone calls that can bother the people around you, but your padlock is perfectly fine today. And if you're a fidgeter like I am, you're lucky day. <laughs> the padlock represents a real situation that has happened. And when it is snapped shut, it represents the response that we have made to the real situation. And if the real situation is one that hurt us, offended us, disappointed us, or evoked some other negative emotions, our decision in responding is usually to snap it shut with judgment. You did me wrong. The decision to forgive is to take a key. We're going to have five of these keys today that we'll unpack. It's to take the key and apply it to the situation and say, I'm going to respond to the situation differently. I'm going to open the situation back up. I'm not denying that it happened or any of the facts around it, but I'm going to open it up because I'm going to release the offender to God, who's a far better judge than I am, and release myself to move on with a free life. Forgiveness unlocks judgment to release another to God and to release ourselves to live free. How many of you got to hear or watch some of the memorial service or funeral for uh, George H.W. Bush this week? And many of you. Uh, I got to hear uh, part of the memorial service while I was driving. And it was former Senator Alan Simpson who recalled one of the 41st president's mother's favorite quotes. I think you'll love it. It's powerful. Seven simple words. Hatred corrodes the container it's held in. Here are, here's five keys of God's forgiveness that we can re-gift to each other and create freedom this Christmas. Number one, Jesus forgives us. Say it with me. Completely, yeah. Every sin you've ever committed or will commit, all your sins are forgiven. That's good news. Take a look at this passage. It says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Wow. How many of our sins? All of them. Past, present, and future. Paul drives this home by giving us the image of Jesus on the cross where Jesus took a moral bill, an invoice that said, Jared Roth guilty, and nailed it to the cross, stamped 
canceled, paid in full, and gave meaning to his final shout. Remember Jesus' final words. John records them this way. It says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, if you were just casually reading along in, in John 19, you might apply a rather passive sense of resignation to it. Well, it's finished. I guess it's over. But the language that is used, used here is words that means to finish the job, to complete the assignment. It's absolutely done. It's finished. And so Jesus uses this shout of triumph to say, it's finished, it's done. Reconciliation, project completed. Forgiveness is available. So I think that's what Paul was writing about when he wrote that Jesus forgave all our sins, nailing it to the cross. It's finished, it's paid in full. And now we're told, forgive one another, just as Christ has forgiven you completely for everything. Now this will mess with you. This means I not only forgive you for your past sins, for your present sins, but I make a decision to give you the gift of forgiveness for your future nasties coming my way as well. Completely for everything. I decide I'll never hold anything against you. I will create an environment around me relationally that always has, in response to the question, will you forgive me? The built-in answer, of course I will. I have. Every time. That's how Jesus forgives you. Jesus forgives. Well, he forgives completely. And secondly, Jesus forgives us generously. That's the meaning of the word forgive that we read in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. Its root is down to the Greek word that, root that we get grace from, graciousness, generosity. It's extended grace. It means to forgive freely and generously and graciously, more than is deserved. Your forgiveness is bigger than the offense. Hmm. I think the best illustration in the Bible is this fun encounter. Many of you will remember it. References there in Matthew. Peter, <laughs> Peter decided to score one uh, with Jesus. And so he not only made up the test question, he also answered it. This is like the ultimate take-home test. And so he comes to Jesus and says, question, how many times should I forgive my brother? And then answer, seven times? And he's expecting a big pat on the back instead of the verbal whack on the head he gets. You see, Peter, he had grown up with the rabbis, and the rabbis taught that if you forgive someone three times, that's all you need to do. You're not obligated beyond. So Peter does the math. He takes three, and he doubles it, and then he adds one for good measure, and he comes up with a seven. Seven times, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, Peter, seven times, 70. That's how often you forgive. Now, I don't think Jesus was saying keep track, 
be kind of hard to get on with it, isn't it? If you had a list that was 489 times, that'd be a, night, uh, a nightmare of trying to keep track. I think Jesus is saying it's infinity. It's infinite, the number of times that you forgive. Peter came and said, give me the absolute number of generosity. And Jesus' response is, how about being as generous forgiving others as God has been forgiving you? How about trying, don't be stingy with others? How about trying, don't keep count? And how about trying, give generously? Forgive one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Completely, generously, and the third, Jesus forgives us readily. Look at this verse from Psalms. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. So if you've already decided ahead of time, your response will be, of course I forgive you. It's the climate of your relationships. If your spouse fails, they'll never have to wonder, will I be forgiven this time? If your colleagues, fellow students, classmates, neighbors, kids fail, they never have to wonder. It's not up for debate. The decision has been made. You carry a climate that never has to be predicted with a weather forecast. I wonder if she's gloomy today with a chance of bitterness. I wonder if she's sunny today with the hope of forgiveness. I may, be if it, I may wonder if it's scattered bitterness and grudges today. No, you can just create a climate of forgiveness that says forgiveness is always predicted for the future in this relationship. Powerful, powerful stuff. In fact, I couldn't believe this unless it was modeled by Jesus himself. And you remember one of his final prayers from the cross when Luke records for us these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Now, let me ask this question. Had they asked for forgiveness? No. In fact, when Jesus prayed this, they were crucifying him, mocking him, tormenting him. No one was asking forgiveness, but he was forgiving it anyway. Before they asked, he was ready to forgive because he had already decided. This week, I hope that you get to use your family discussion cards and your family might be a neighbor or a roommate or a spouse, or a partner, it might be family intergenerational, but as you take the card and as you take your padlocks and as you hold them, there's some questions that you'll ask as you talk about situations in your life and where you've been hurt and how you can forgive and how you can move forward in that as well. And here's one of the great challenges for us. It's to decide that we can forgive completely and entirely now. One of Ann's former pastors, Jerry Cook, told the story of an experience in their town. Uh, another pastor of um, a large church in town uh, had uh, blown up his marriage with an affair, got fired from the church. Uh, many, many people left as the church splintered. 
hurt and scattered and went to other churches. Some people just checked out on church completely. And a year and a half later, Jerry gets a call at 7.30 on a Sunday morning from that pastor. And the pastor said, uh, Jerry, um, my wife and I, we'd like to come to church this morning. We were wondering if that could be okay. And Jerry's response was, why are you even asking me that? Of course it's okay. You can come. And the pastor said, well, you are aware that I'm divorced and that I'll come with my second wife. Jerry said, of course I'm aware of that. Well, the guy called because he had been turned away by several churches he had tried to visit. And some other churches had been preemptive in calling him and saying, don't ever come here. And Jerry said, of course, come. And the, the guy said, well, I know that you have a video uh, for overflow services. And if you just have a little room someplace, my wife can go sit in that and watch the service on the video and we won't bother other people. And Jerry said, if you come, I'll meet you at the front door. Now, the complicating factor was that a lot of the people who had left that splintered church now were the church that Jerry served. And, and what are they going to do with this pastor? Well, as a congregation, they've excited to make the same decision that Jerry had. And that's the plan in advance. We just extend grace. We extend grace here. And Jerry said that he'll never forget that man burying his head in Jerry's shoulder, weeping and saying, I have spent my life loving people, and now I've needed someone to love me. Hmm. Did you notice Jerry's response when he was asked, would it be okay if I came? It was like, of course, because he'd already decided. That's what forgiveness, like Jesus, looks like. The fourth key to forgiveness is that Jesus forgives us forgetfully. I know some of you are saying, I can just cross that one off right now. Thank you. That's going to kind of require some mental gymnastics that I've not been able to master. Well, let's take a couple of minutes and see if we can make some sense on this one, because I think you can do this. Now, when God gives, he what? He for forgets. Yeah. Now, I don't think this means that God couldn't remember if he wanted to. It means that God chooses not to remember. That's not always true for me. I have some forgetful moments about things I wish I could remember. You know, someone said recently, of all the things I've lost, I miss my mind the most. <laughs> God does not have lapses in memory. It doesn't go with his being old and white-haired, that image some of you have of him. God has such control over his memory that he can choose what to forget. And he invites us to join the same journey. Now, here's what it means to us. It means that when I am hurt and I react and I forgive, that I have the possibility of not holding on to that sin, to that fail, and nursing it into a grudge and growing it into a full-blown bitterness. It means that I behave differently. I don't bring it up time after time or throw it in their face. 
I choose to let go of it and begin to walk a path of grace, which includes healing, so that I feel the pain less over time, remember it less frequently over time, because I am choosing in my forgiveness to live forward as though it had not happened. Hmm. Remember my nasty gram that I read middle of this week? I felt like a scab was being torn off an old wound. And my thoughts were, here we go again, doing it again, right back at it, adding to the pile of pain, just some more of what we've been getting. Those were the thoughts. And then I thought to myself, darn it, I have to say good things with credibility to people on Sunday. So I thought about it, and I asked myself the question, Jared, have you forgiven the author of the previous fails? And my answer was yes. And then I got to say to myself, then all you have to do is forgive this one. I can handle that one. Hmm. Being freed to give the other people over to God so that we can be free to walk forward in a free life, choosing to forget. We're not wired to do this. <laughs> Little boy and his mom went shopping, and he's in the back seat, and it's quiet on the way home because he'd been naughty. And he said, hey, mom, he said, uh, is it true that when God forgives us, that he forgives all our sin? And she said, yep, that's true. Is it true in the Bible where it says that when God forgets sins, that he throws them in the deep sea? She said, yes, when God forgives, he forgets. Silence. He says, well, Mom, I know that God has forgotten, but I have a hunch that when we get home that you're going to go fishing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so some of you need to have a Christmas ornament hanging on the tree that says, no fishing allowed. Some of you already have an ornament that says, gone fishing. Just flip it over and rephrase it. No fishing allowed. I think the last and the fifth key may be the toughest of all. Ready for it? Here we go. Jesus forgives us sacrificially. Hmm. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus forgave us by absorbing the pain of our sin. Listen, forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. It costs Jesus his life. Forgiveness is the most costly gift in the world. Evergreen, you sacrifice in so many ways. You, you do this so well. 
You give of your time. Uh, amazingly generous and serving in our community and serving here, kids and students and food bank and ushers and greeters and sound and tech and, and go teams and worship and band. You give so generously of your talent, discovering your God-given birth talents and your spirit-given spiritual gifts and using those to make your highest and best contributions. You give generously of your treasure and many of you give a full tithe and you frequently give offerings and some of you even at the end of this year are preparing some year-end giving of cash or stock or maybe from a bonus or maybe from catching up on some giving you'd plan to do this year that you've lagged behind on or maybe you're just experiencing a nudge from God for some end-of-the-year giving. Listen, you do this so well. You are a generous community. But I want to challenge you today about another area of sacrificial giving. I wonder if we fully recognize that forgiveness can be the biggest sacrifice of all. To re-gift forgiveness, to forgive others as Christ has forgiven you, means sacrificially. Forgiveness always costs the forgiver, which makes it doubly unfair. They wronged you to start with, and now you're paying again to provide forgiveness for them. Hmm. Sacrificial. I was asked by a business owner to engage with two key employees around a matter that they were struggling about, and I was given no background at all. Try to put yourself in my situation. You'll, you'll, you'll decide how undiscerning I really am. I actually picked up this gig. Yeah, no background at all, other than he said, I believe in these two employees, they're key employees. They have a very difficult personal issue that they're dealing with. Would you come and sit down with the two of them for an hour and mediate? And I said, sure. Sounds like a breeze. So we sat down and never met. I said, so what's up, guys? And they weren't smiling. I did discover that they're both Christ followers. They both participate in the same church. They are both volunteers in the same church. They work in the same company. They actually have jobs that require that they interact at times. And they are deeply, deeply divided. So I listened to the story. And I realized that it was perceived that one, let's call him the offender, had done a series of things that were offensive to the offended. And the offender tried to tell all the ways that he apologized and all of the words he used and all the mediums that he had used. And the offended said, you have not apologized to me. I don't believe that your efforts were authentic or sincere. You can see where they hit an impasse. So I said to the offended, could you describe what a sincere and authentic apology would look and sound like? And five minutes later, he had described that. And I looked at him and said, you will never get that apology from this man or any other person in your lifetime. Hmm? Helpful, aren't I? 
Because he had crafted a condition for his forgiveness. He was not forgiving like Christ forgives him. He had decided what price had to be paid to purchase his forgiveness for his brother. And Jesus applied the same question with a surprise answer. What price has to be paid so I will forgive them? And he said, the price of my life. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Jack was doing 73 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone. <laughs> he was lit up. He was pulled over fourth time in four months. He was angry and annoyed. Watched in his very rear mirror as the officer got out, and he recognized him as Officer Bob from church. Lucky day. Hoping he could talk him way out of this one with his buddy, and they chatted for a couple of minutes, and it was obvious that he was not going to get out of this ticket as Officer Bob opened up the book and started writing out the tickets. Jack listened and watched, and Bob wrote and closed it up, tore it out, and handed it to Jack, went back to his car. Jack opened up the ticket, and to his surprise, it wasn't a ticket at all. It was a handwritten note that said, Jack, once I had a daughter. She was six when she was killed by a speeding driver. A fine and three months in jail, and the man was free. Free to hug his daughters, all three of them. I only had one, and I have to wait until heaven to hug her. A thousand times I've tried to forgive that man. A thousand times I thought I had. Maybe I did, but I have to do it again, even now. Pray for me and be careful. My son is all I have left. Bob. Jack watched while Bob's car pulled away and he sat for a while by the side of the road before he pulled out slowly and drove home and hugged his wife and his kids when he got there. Forgiveness is free, but it is not cheap. Every forgiveness that you give will be sacrificial. Do you think it was easy for Bob to have a career of writing up speeding tickets for traffic offenders, everyone being a painful reminder of his great loss. Forgiveness is free, but it's never cheap. Think of how much Jesus has forgiven you. And remember, this Christmas, forgive others, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Lord, we receive your forgiveness fully, graciously, completely, unconditionally. Thank you. Would you help us this week, Lord, 
forgive as you've forgiven us. Completely, generously, readily, forgetfully, and sacrificially in your name. Amen.